Hello. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. Pretty tired. Excited for this episode. I think yeah. This is the most excited I've been in a while. I don't know. There's just something about the subject matter of today. Oh, it's like you're me or something. <laughs> I'm I'm anxious. A little anxious today. Well, uh, I've got that. Sounds about right for you. <laughs> but that's not what we're talking about today. I'm excited for today. <laughs> I get to talk about decomposition. Let's get That's into always it. always your favorite. <laughs> Welcome to The Strange and Unusual, where we discuss The Strange and Unusual. This is episode 105 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Roya. And I'm Casey. And today we're covering what was selected by our wonderful Patreons over at patreon.com slash strangeunusual. Mysterious bodies! Hell yeah. They're bodies. They're mysterious. They may or may not be hitting the floor. Yeah. Who knows? Well, we'll know when we start talking about our cases. when we start talking about Like I said just two seconds ago, uh, if you would like to join the people who vote on our Patreon polls, you can join us over at patreon.com slash strangeunusual. You can also follow us on all, basically all social media platforms, main ones, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, um, at some variation of Strange Unusual Podcast or The Strange and Unusual. Um, just look for our logo and give us a follow. We post uh, pictures from the cases that we are covering and normally one of the two of us will start talking shit in the comments <laughs> if people start we'll start responding if people start commenting <laughs> yeah normally with gifs yeah <laughs> sometimes from drag race if you're roya yeah if it's me it's from drag race <laughs> well what are you talking about today well i'm actually going to be covering two cases oh because both were kind of on the shorter side but i found them both very interesting Okay. So first, I'm going to be asking, who put Bella in the witch elm? Oh, that's a good one. And then I'm going to be talking about Yogzi. That one I don't know. So what are you going to be talking about today? I'm going to be talking about the Bigfoot problem in Canada. Okay. Wasn't our Bigfoot episode like five episodes ago? Yeah. So this is new Bigfoot content? Different Bigfoot content. Okay. Um. So because mine are uh, a bit more on the murder side of things uh i'm gonna go first today starting with some wee woos yeah wee woo (laughs) murder a body a body or two which are mysterious maybe nazis probably schizophrenia paranoia and wild speculation love it this is my favorite list of wee woos i've ever made (laughs) (laughs) all right so starting off picture it england 1943 on April 18th, four boys are out trespassing, you know, like you do, mm-hmm. in Hagley Wood, which is attached to the Hagley Estate that at the time belonged to Lord Cobham. I, I, first of all, there's a lot to unpack here. I thought you were going to say attached to the Hagleyest Wood. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, are we really doing this? And then, and then the name. Lord Cobham? Cobham. It's probably like Cobham or something, but we're going with Cobham. Cobham, that's probably right. (laughs) Um, All right. All of this was nearby Witchberry Hill, which 
cool. And there they came upon a giant witch elm. And it's interesting, it's witch W-Y-C-H, not W-I-T-C-H. So I'm guessing it's some sort of former spelling of the word. Maybe it's Weichelm. (laughs) If it's German. I mean, it definitely uh, gets rewritten later as witch w-i-t-c-h oh, okay but right, never um, mind. yeah and so basically what i've understood from the research that i did is a witch elm is like an elm tree that's dead or dying and they have like this really gnarled weird spooky sort of atmosphere about them like if you've seen um the sleepy hollow movie done by tim burton like yeah. imagine that tree as like a witch elm from what the I The one that Christopher Walken comes out of? Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a spooky tree. <laughs> uh, so the boys, uh, Robert Hart, Thomas Willits, Bob Farmer, and Fred Payne, uh, decided that this tree would be a particularly good place to look for bird nests, which they were searching for for some reason. Okay. They actually were, um, it was described in one of the articles that I read that they were poaching because these they were trespassing and stealing yeah. things. But I can't, I couldn't tell if they're like looking for the nests or are they looking for the eggs? Like I couldn't really, there wasn't any really discernible things that I found as to why they were looking for birds nests. Okay. Um, so hmm. farmers started climbing up the tree and as he got up the tree, he realized that the witch elms hollow trunk had something in it um he saw like a go like white looking thought it was maybe a stone or something at first oh no <laughs> so he was curious about it and he investigated a little bit and saw a skull initially he thought it was the skull of an animal but when he picked it up he saw human hair and teeth and recognized that it was definitely not some forest animal yeah um, again, as they were trespassing, Farmer just put the skull back where he found it, and all four boys returned home after their stand-by-me-like story, deciding not to say anything. <laughs> oh, was Richard Dreyfus narrating this? <laughs> yeah, Will Wheaton was there. It was a good Excellent. time. Excellent. Great story. But Thomas Willits, the youngest member of the group, was uneasy about what he had seen and decided to tell his parents. And it didn't take long for him to tell them either. Yeah, he was like a little pussy about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, His parents obviously reached out to the police to investigate this mysterious dead body. When they arrived at the tree, they were able to pull out nearly a complete skeleton piece by piece. There was also a shoe, a gold wedding ring, which I read in some areas or in some articles was fake. And in some articles, it was real. I don't know. Interesting. Um, and some fragments of clothing. The okay. skull. The skull was actually in really good shape, uh, all things considered, with some intact tufts of hair and a clear dental pattern, despite some missing teeth. Um, they started to investigate the surrounding area, and they found the remains of the hand as well that was missing from the body. Um, the body was sent to James Webster, a forensic pathologist, for examination. He was easily able to establish that the body was that of a female and that she had been dead for at least eight months, 18 months. Oh, wow. Which put her death in or before October of 1941. He also discovered some taffeta, a type of fabric that was in her mouth, which suggested that she may have died of suffocation. Hmm. Uh, Webster got the measurements of the tree trunk where the body had been discovered and deduced that the body had to have been put there prior to rigor mortis setting in because otherwise it wouldn't have been able to fit. 
because yeah. the body would have been too rigid to fit into the space. Oh yeah, well I was gonna say it could have it could have been in its second flaccidity. Yeah. But if it you know, we're talking about decomp and things, then maybe not. Yeah. Um from the items found with the body, the police could start trying to piece together what the woman had looked like to some degree. Uh, but there were a ton of people reported missing because it was World War Two. Yeah. <laughs> Just after World War Two. There were too many missing women for a proper identification to take place. That didn't mean that they didn't try, though. The police took the information and compared it to reports of missing women throughout the region, but none of them seemed to match up. Hmm. Um, they also had dentists all over the country look at her, how her dentistry had been done because it was quite distinctive and unique. Um, and there was some speculation that it might not have been done in England, and it may have been done somewhere else. Interesting. Her identity would remain a mystery that baffled the police and the public. In 1944, a cryptic piece of graffiti was written on a wall in Upper Dean Street, Birmingham, which read, Who put Bella down the witch elm? Hagley Wood. This provided new leads for tracing who the victim could have been, because now they have a name. At least potentially a name. Yeah, I say. More than or, they had or, before. Or some little shit wrote the word in the name Bella and just to fuck with people. <laughs> Um, so other messages in the same handwriting also appeared around the city and they were all kind of cryptic and, and odd. Um, but I couldn't find what any of the other ones said in the research that I did. Yeah. Um, other, uh, let's see, since the 1970s, similar graffiti has sporadically appeared on the Hagley Obelisk near where the woman's body had been discovered. Like as recently, I think the last one that I saw listed was like in 1990 or 1999, uh, at some point in the 90s, it's not been that terribly long ago that people are still, like, putting graffiti up on the Hagley Obelisk, trying to, like, kind of keep the case alive and, yeah. you know, be spooky teenagers, probably. <laughs> Vandalism! <laughs> but anyway, let's speculate. Yes. So on a radio program in August of 2014, Steve Punt decided, or suggested two vic- two possible victims. One was reported to police in 1944 by a Birmingham sex worker who had said that another sex worker named Bella had worked on Hagley Road and disappeared three years earlier. Oh. Um, another possibility came from a statement made to police in 1953 by Una Mossop. That's a fun name. Right? She stated that her ex-husband, Jack, had confessed to family members that he and a Dutchman named Von Ralt had put the woman in the tree. Mossop and Von Ralt uh, met for a drink at a pub in Hagley and said that later in the night, a woman became drunk and passed out while they were driving. As a joke, the men put her in a hollow tree in the woods so that she would wake up in the morning and discover the error of her ways. Oh, haha! Good joke! <laughs> um, adding some interesting flavor to the story... Jack Mossop was actually confined to Stafford Mental Hospital due to reoccurring nightmares of a woman staring out at him from a tree. Ooh. Um, he died in the hospital before the body was found in the witch elm. Interesting. However, the story is called into question due to the fact that Una Mossop waited 10 years after Jack's death to come forward with the information. Hmm. Um, another suggestion comes from the last man executed in the Tower of London, Joseph Jacobs, and he was found in an 
MI5 declassified file about him uh, from August 15th, 1941. In this information, as an Obwehr agent, going with that, okay, uh, which is a German military intelligence group, um, he parachute- parachuted into Cambridgeshire in 1941, but broke his ankle when landing and was soon arrested. Uh, found on his person was a photo of a woman who was allegedly his lover, a German cabaret singer and actress named Clara Bauer- Bauerle. Um, Jacobs said that she was being trained as a spy and she may have been sent over to England after him. But there's no evidence that Clara parachuted into England. Hmm. Further disproving this, people who knew Clara said that she was around six feet tall. Oh, boy. (laughs) And Bella, who was found in the tree, was closer to five foot tall, which is a notable discrepancy. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and I mean, they found, like I said, they found Bella's like complete skeleton in the tree, missing one hand. Mm-hmm. So they have like her height. You know, mm-hmm. it's not a mystery. She's not like missing her legs. And it's so not like not she sure. had a. It's not like she had a, a foot worth of calluses on her feet either. <laughs> she just walked around in really high platforms all the time. <laughs> um, yeah. In, in 2016, it was determined that Clara had actually died in Berlin on the 16th of December, 1942. Um, in 1945, Margaret Murray, an anthropologist and archaeologist at University College London, proposed a more radical theory. It was witches! No. She suggested that the severing of the hand was consistent with the ritual the Hand of Glory, um, and that act- after the victim had been killed during an occult ritual, the hand would be severed as part of whatever the ritual was intended to do. And one of the things that she kind of calls into conversation is that there had been another seemingly ritualistic killing of a man in Lower Quentin named Charles Walton, like right around the same time that uh, Bella would have been put in the witch elm. Hmm. And so they're like, maybe someone was going through and like doing rituals or something. But that's a (laughs) what if it was aliens? Like that's that's how that sounds. To yeah. Me. Well, it's like the um, Dyatlov Pass. Like, what if it was Yetis? <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Um, in 1953, another theory was suggested that the victim was a Dutch woman named Clarabella Dronkers. Um, the theory states that she had been killed by a German spy ring consisting of a British officer, a Dutchman and a music hall artist for knowing too much. Um, but the records are dubious at best. Yeah. Uh, nearing the 80th anniversary of the discovery of Bella, her remains, her death remains unsolved. Her remains remain unsolved. <laughs> her remains. <laughs> uh, so you may be thinking, Roya, what about DNA? DNA, no, get fucked. Well, I got bad news for you. <laughs> because evidently the body just disappeared disappeared knows where it is yeah uh which sounds like some spy conspiracy bullshit if you ask me yeah i agree uh that's that's, uh that's a little fucky wucky yeah they're still asking who put bella in the witch elm and then who took her body after that and then who stole her body (laughs) uh so case number two picture it germany 1984 okay different hair gunther stole was an uh, unemployed yeah. food engineer who occasionally spoke to his wife of them. Wait a minute. What is a food engineer? I don't know. <laughs> I okay. didn't care enough to look it up. Do you do you put food together? 
perhaps. Maybe do you discover design food. food? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my dad had has a master's in like food science, so maybe it's something like that. Like someone who but, is uh, responsible for like the care and maintenance of like food preparation facilities. As you know, if you've watched The Big Bang Theory, engineers and scientists are not the same. <laughs> Howard used to get a lot of shit about being an engineer. Uh, God, I haven't watched that show in 8,000 years because it suddenly got really not funny. Right? Yeah. Elise and I talk about that sometimes. <laughs> Continue. Anyway, My so, apologies. So he occasionally spoke to his wife of them. Yeah. Of all the things I picked up from that, you saying that, I, I chose a food engineer <laughs> instead of them. My well, apologies I mean, again. I mean... Food was in the sentence, so our focus is always going to be on food. We are fat girls. <laughs> um, and so them is an unknown group of people who he was convinced were intending on harming him. Oh, no. He mentioned them specifically on the evening of October 25th, 1984, before he suddenly shouted, No, I've got it. But, you know, in <laughs> German, because he's German. Uh, no, I don't have those words. <laughs> He then suddenly grabbed a piece of paper and a pen and wrote down six letters, Y-O-G apostrophe T-Z-E. Though there's some disagreement if the G is intended to be a letter G or the number six. Oh. Because it kind of looks like it could be E. Yeah. Um, he wrote all of this down on the piece of paper and then crossed them out and then he was fine. Um, Th so, then he was fine? Just like... Yeah, he just like sat down and like chilled out. Like... Nine nicked cool <laughs> and then was cool. Yeah. And so shortly after this, um, writing this down, Stoll went to his favorite pub and ordered a beer. After he ordered the beer, he fell forward onto the ground and injured his face. Just like fell and didn't try to catch himself or anything. Just what went from heck? standing to on the ground face down. Nicked cool. Um, witnesses reported that he hadn't had a drink there yet. And he didn't appear to be under the influence of alcohol or anything. He seemed completely coherent. Like the beer had just like been sat down on the bar in front of him. And, and then, then he, he was passed fell out. as if he was plastered. Yeah. Okay. As if he was like beyond plastered, like yeah. blacked out. Um, so they, they explained it. It seemed like he just suddenly lost consciousness and he huh. just fell. Um, Maybe and them had something to do with it. <laughs> And he didn't, like, crumple. He just, like, went from standing to laying Like, planked. Yeah, yeah. Flat on his face. Dang. Um, he woke up and then just drove away in his car. Uh, and no one stopped him. But I don't know why. In 1984 in Germany. East Who knows? Um, no problem. Then there's, like, a two-hour time frame that's unaccounted for. Um, and then he was seen in the area where he actually grew up around 1 a.m. on October 26th. He talked to a woman he knew from his childhood and mentioned a, quote, horrible incident um, with no, like, description of what this was. Just that there was a horrible incident. Um, because it was so late, I assume he just showed up at her house or was, like, caught her out while she was, like, out somewhere. Hmm. Um, she suggested that he go to his parents' home and talk to them instead, and then he left. Just like, go home, sleep it off. Like, your parents will let you in. You're not coming in here. Yeah. Person get, I haven't seen fucked, since dude. we were children. Like, yeah. um, around 3 a.m. Cool. 
Around 3 a.m., two truck drivers discovered a Stoll's crashed car in a trench about 60 miles away from where he had been last reported. Okay. Both truck drivers testified to seeing an injured person in a white jacket walking near the car prior to them calling law enforcement. Because again, 1984, they don't have cell phones, so they had to leave, call the police, and then come back. Yeah. And so after they called the police, they approached the car to see if they could help or do anything, you know, if there were any victims still in the car. Um, And they found a severely injured Gunther Stoll completely naked in his car. He was conscious, and he said that there had been four men in his car with him, and that they had all run away. He was asked if these men were his friends, and he adamantly said no. Oh. Gunther Stoll died on the way to the hospital. What? The criminal investigation showed that Stoll had been injured before the crash. His injuries were consistent with those of someone who had been hit by a car. What? He had also been found in the passenger seat of his car, not the driver's seat. So the theory is that he had been hit by a car elsewhere and put in his passenger seat and driven to the location where he was discovered. Okay. It was also concluded that he had been naked at the time he had been hit by the car. Okay. Uh, the meaning of the letters Yagsi remain as remain unknown as it means nothing in German or English and has never been determined to be any part of a code or a cryptogram or anything. Hmm. Um, there is a suggestion that Y-O-6-T-Z-E was the license plate of the car that hit him, meaning that Stoll had somet- somehow had a premonition that he had been hit by that car with that license plate. Oh, Wow. There's also the idea that it could maybe not be letters, but numbers, because when you flip the paper over, it looks like 027,906. And so there are some people that are like, maybe coordinates, maybe nothing, maybe just the the ramblings of someone who's clearly dealing with like paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah, schizophrenia. You know, but uh yeah, I I was I just googled like mysterious bodies and that was on the list and I had never heard of it and I was like that's just one of those stories that just keeps getting weirder the more I the more yeah. I read. <laughs> that's bizarre. And of course, I mean like internet sleuths are all over it trying to figure out some meaning behind Yoxi and things like that um and one of the articles i read is that it's like um people trying to determine if it's some kind of a code like is there is there some way to break it down to mean something else yeah that would make sense huh but i'm curious because so let's go on this speculation train heck yeah that he has been followed by them these men that he doesn't know and he's seen them in their car and this is their license plate on that car, and he's been trying to remember what the license plate number was that he had seen. Yeah. And then he remembers it, and is like, oh, I'll go turn this in, like, I'll go to the police tomorrow, I'm gonna go get a beer to celebrate remembering this, and then they catch up to him and stop him before he can go to the police. Yeah, but how did they get him to fall flat on his fucking face? I don't know, poison dart, who knows? Poison dart. Yeah, that's that checks out. Yeah. It was a poison dart. We <laughs> solved it. We did it. Strange and usual. You heard it here first. Solving crimes. <laughs> that's crazy. Wrongs. I have not heard that one and that was that was a trip. 
Yeah, I had never heard it before either. And I was like, this seems like too odd to not talk yeah. about. This is too strange and unusual. Yeah. To not bring up. Well, huh. You want to you wanna hear something else weird? Yeah, always. That's why we do this podcast. <laughs> uh, descriptions of body decomposition and mentions of murder, suicide, drowning, mafia, aliens, curses, bizarre police work, human trafficking, natural disasters, being eaten by marine animals, and dad jokes. Oh, boy. <laughs> so, let me tell you about this. We're starting strong in 1887. You know, if you hadn't said, if you had given me that list of wee-woos and not told me anything about Canada... I think you were talking about that uh, that captive shark that threw up the dude's arm in Australia. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good yeah, one. I thought no. about it. <laughs> oh, I thought about doing that lady. Oh, is it in Norway? Who's just like, nobody has any idea who she was. Oh, the Istal woman? Istal woman, yes. Yeah. I thought I, about doing her. She was on my list. So was uh, Tanam Shud. But anyway, let me tell you about this. We got a lot of mysterious bodies to talk about, guys. We, we, we could do more. another episode of this. We yeah. could totally do another episode of this. <laughs> In 1887, one half of a human leg washed up along False Creek in Vancouver, still in its boot. In their infinite wisdom, the police (laughs) speared the leg and displayed it outside the precinct should the owner come looking for it. You know, I'd be more concerned about the owner coming to look for it. You can't just, like, lose a leg. And, like, just be up and walking around looking for your leg. Like, (laughs) someone would have had to have known about this. (laughs) After two weeks, it's assumed the leg was tossed, or as Atlas Obscura jokingly suggested, given to a street dog, as no one had come to claim it. The leg was never identified, but the area where it had been displayed is now a shopping area, and it is called Leg in Boot Square. (laughs) I'm happy that it was sense of humor about it. This wasn't the last of the mysterious flotsam, though, as the Vancouver Sun published an article in July of 1914 with the headline, Human Leg is Found Encased in a Boot. But in recent years, there's been an even higher foot-to-year ratio from the shores and straits of the southwest uh, area of British Columbia and in Washington State. It's a big foot problem. Shut up. (laughs) The first foot was found on August 20th of 2007 when a 12-year-old girl on vacation with her family from Washington was walking along the shores of Jedediah Island in British Columbia. She came across a men's running shoe. It was a size 12 white and blue Adidas shoe produced in 2003, the right one, with the sock still inside. Like any 12-year-old curious girl, she pulls back the sock as well to discover something far worse. The foot. My brain. (laughs) Just putting so many things that would not be in the shoe in the shoe. I know it's going to be a foot, but I'm like, what else? It is a foot. What else could it be? And it... It was later identified as belonging to a man who'd gone missing in 2004, and his family said that he had been suffering from depression. Gives you an idea of what happened. Yeah. The second foot was discovered only six days later on Gabriola Island in British Columbia, which was also a size 12, but a Reebok running shoe. And if that wasn't enough to confirm it wasn't a match, it was also a right foot. And this is not like having two left feet. (laughs) 
This foot was later identified as belonging to a man who went missing in 2006. The third foot was found uh, on on February 8th of 2008 on Valdez Island uh, in British Columbia with a size 11 Nike found the right one. Uh, It was identified to another man who'd gone missing in 2006 when he was only 21 years old. Okay, so it's a serial killer who's only keeping left. Keep that in mind. Oh, God. Well, the British Columbia Coroner Service determined the death to be non-suspicious. People were beginning to wonder if there wasn't something more nefarious afoot. Uh. Quitting the podcast. (laughs) This is my last episode. I'm done, guys. Another foot was discovered on May 22nd of 2008 around Kirkland Island. Uh, It was a blue and white New Balance running shoe that was manufactured in 1999. It included a sock and, of course, a foot and was was identified as belonging to a woman who jumped from a bridge in 2004. Was it a right foot? Yes. Are you just telling me that to appease me? No, we'll find out later that okay. it was the right foot. On June 16th of 2008, on Westham Island in British Columbia, another foot was found by hikers. The coroners were able to use DNA to connect this foot to that of the foot found in February of the 21-year-old man who'd gone missing. That is five feet, two of those making a missing set in less than a year out of British Columbia. That's a big foot problem. On the 1st of August in 2008, the first shoe of this series anyway, washed up on the shore of the Salish Sea in Pisht, Washington. Sorry, I laugh every time I say that. It was a size 11 black athletic shoe covered in seaweed containing a right foot. In November of 2008, in Richmond, British Columbia, a woman's left New Balance shoe was discovered. A DNA test matched this foot to that of the woman found in May. Or the woman's foot found in May, because the woman was not found. The eighth foot was discovered on October 27th in 2009, another foot in Richmond. Uh, It was the right foot in a eight and a half Nike, identified to a Vancouver man who had been reported missing earlier in 2008. On August 27th of 2010, a second U.S. discovery was found on Whidbey Island in Washington, another small foot Sans shoe or sock, later determined to have been in the water for around two months. No DNA that I could find had made a match to anybody. On December 5th, 2010, in Tacoma, a foot was found on the tidal flats. It was a boy's size size 6 hiking boot, leading investigators to believe it belonged to a child or a small adult. The 11th foot was found August 30th, 2011, in False Creek, again, discovering a men's blue and white size 9 running shoe and left foot, complete with leg bones attached, as it had disarticulated at the knee instead of the ankle. The sex of the wearer was unknown. The 12th foot was discovered along the Sazmet Lake Jeez. in British Columbia. They do have a Port- foot problem. Yeah, uh, near Port Moody on November 4th, 2011. This was a size 12 hiking boot discovered by campers. The foot was later identified to a um, fisherman from Washington who'd gone missing in 1985. Wow. And again, no foul play was suspected. The quality of that boot, though. Yeah, for real. Things were made better then. (laughs) (laughs) On December 10th in 2011... 
a discovery was made near Lake Union in Seattle. A human leg, bone, and foot was discovered in a black plastic bag under a bridge. As far as I could find, there's been no update on cause of death or identification. On October... In October of 2012, in False Creek, again, a right foot was found. DNA linked this foot to the left foot that had washed up with its leg bone still attached in August of 2011. As far as I'm aware, the remains are still unidentified. On May 6th of 2014, a new balance shoe showed up in Seattle, Washington, near Centennial Park. It was discovered by volunteers clearing out trash on the waterfront, and was le- it was a left, white, and blue shoe in a size 10 and a half uh, a men's size uh, 10 and a half and a model that was first sold in 2008 no word on identification of the foot inside the shoe on vancouver island in february of 2016 a left foot was found on botanical beach was anthropologically and circumstantially linked to foot number 17 found only five days later in the same area same shoe different foot Similar bones. Uh, 18th foot was found in December of 2017. A left foot was discovered near Jordan River on Vancouver Island. Discovered by a Rottweiler named Taz and her owner under some kelp. They found a full-ass tibia and fibula attached to a left foot with a white sock and black athletic shoe with Velcro. It was identified uh, as a 79-year-old man who was reported missing from East Bremerton, Washington in September of that year, and his body had actually washed up 240 kilometers away in Clallam County two months earlier. In May of 2018, another foot was found on Gabriola Island. A man was walking along the shore on a Sunday afternoon when he discovered a hiking boot stuck in a log jam. It was a right foot whose DNA was linked to a man who went missing earlier that year. The 20th foot was found in a light gray Nike on the beach of West Vancouver in September of 2018. It was a size 9.5, manufactured in early 2017, and it was a left foot that wore a blue sock. And on January 1st of 2019, on Jetty Island in Washington. Happy New Year, here's a foot. It was found in a boot and was later identified to a man who'd been missing since December of 2016. 21 feet in little more than a decade. Different feet from different people and different backgrounds. Why exactly was this happening? And is this happening? As it can... I've, that's The latest one was in 2021, but who knows what we might find. So, let's discuss the theories. <laughs> Several people point to the pack the fact that the Pacific Northwest is famous for its serial killers, question mark? Uh, Dayton Leroy Rogers, the Green River Killer, Gary Ridgway, Alvin Brown, John Allen Muhammad, uh, Richard Marquette, Robert Yates Jr., the boxcar killer Robert Silveria Jr. was there for a while, and yes, of course, Ted Bundy. Uh, People were even sending in tips to be like, hey, it might be a serial killer. There are even some conspiracy theories, including aliens, mid-flight plane collisions that the government wants to cover up, the Yakuza. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure Canada's got a bad Yakuza problem. Well, we'll talk about currents in the water in a moment. That's fair. I read in National Geographic that someone suggested shipping containers were filled with migrants and had been dumped in the bottom of the ocean. Some more practical suggestions are that these are the victims of human trafficking or even bodies that had been washed away by the 2004 Indian Ocean tsunami. 
According to one forensic anthropologist, even physics uh, had called, or I'm sorry, even psychics had called in in order to help uh, almost every single time a foot was discovered. However, there is no link to anything. It's just feet. People eager to jump in on the fame of these feet even started uh, creating hoax feet as early as 2008. One was a shoe with a skeletonized dog paw that I don't want to know how they got, and others were stuffed with chicken bones. Investigators were quickly able to determine that these were counterfeit. I mean, <laughs> I'm done. I'm 100. There's no more podcast. The podcast is over. Oh, man. So, so angry. <laughs> here's what we do. I warned you. There was a content warning. Here's what we do now. Uh, the areas that surround the Salish Sea, like Vancouver and Seattle, are densely populated areas. More bodies equals more bodies, you know? So a corpse in water can either float or sink. And these bodies will decompose differently uh, based on their exposure to air and water currents. So there's this idea that if your lungs are filled with water, you will sink. And if your lungs are filled with air, you'll float. But it's not really that simple. Seawater and freshwater also make a huge difference. There was this study done, I oh I think it was in the 40s or 50s, it was a while ago, um, and 98 Navy men, the participants, uh, were all weighed uh, in water with their lungs either full of air or after pushing out as much breath as they could. And it was found that naked and with empty lungs in fresh water, only 7% of the men would float, and in seawater, that number increased dramatically to 69%. Nice. So... That also changed when adding things like uniforms, weapons, just a little added weight could make a big difference and change that number. But the overall verdict was that cadavers are more likely to sink than they are to float. In the case of floaters, they generally will be pushed around by the wind and occasionally wash up on shore. But in sinkers, they tend to drop to the bottom of whatever body of water and eventually bloat like any other decomposing uh, corpse. Uh, which can cause gas to build up and the body to rise back up to the surface, acting like a floater. When we talked about it a little bit in the uh, Crimes on the Seas episode with the man who threw his wife overboard. and The paper wife. Yeah, and they determined that when she had hit the water, she was dead because she floated due to the yeah. air trapped in her clothes. Yeah. Um. Oh, gosh, where was I? Sorry. Oh, oh no, it's okay. I, I just... Uh, my mouse moved and it lost where I was. Uh, so, but sometimes uh, it might not ever come back up to the surface. Uh, we know cold temperatures prevent decay and with enough water pressure, gas can't even expand. So according to National Geographic, this is when other microbial microbial processes uh, can take over and they convert that to body's tissue into adiposere, that famous uh, soap corpse mm-hmm. situation. That's another episode. But adipose air can persist for centuries in the correct environment. So while the Royal Canadian Mounted Police originally told the Vancouver Sun that finding two discovered feet within just days of each other was suspicious, 15 years have passed and the science behind why paints a much clearer picture. The feet that forensic anthropologists for the British, I'm sorry, British Columbia Coroner's Service, Laura Yazdijian, I know I said that wrong, and I'm so sorry, Laura. <laughs> but she studied these feet, and they were coated in adipocere, uh, suggesting that they had decomposed underwater. In to- uh, 2007, uh, it was studied. The Salish Sea 
was used in a study to determine how quickly a homicide victim would decompose in the ocean. And pigs, dead pigs, were dropped into the sea where they sank sometimes over 300 feet. Uh, pigs were used because of their biological similar- similarities to humans. And apparently it's not cool to use human cadavers for this sort of thing. So it was promptly nommed on by a number of of the over 250 species of marine animals in the Salish Sea. And forensic scientist Gail Anderson, who conducted the study, reported that they started with the, quote, expected areas, the anus region, and the facial orifices. Suffice to say, between the highly oxygenated waters helping the decomp and the scavengers in the water, a body could be skeletonized in the Salish Sea in less than four days. So, why feet? Well, these scavengers, like shrimp and lobsters and crabs, like to go for the soft, easy-to-eat tissue, and it turns out our ankles are made up of a lot of soft stuff, leaving them to disarticulate pretty quickly. These were not severed feet. There are no cut marks on any bones to suggest they'd been cut off. These bodies have been swept off their feet naturally by decomp and hungry sea scavengers, or feet swept off the bodies really. But now the feet have detached. And how do they get on shore? Well, Louise Hung from Death in the Afternoon podcast chalks it up to their, quote, little footy float coats. Um, Sneakers in recent years have become light with hollow spots that store air and are made up of mostly foam causing buoyancy. So why aren't we getting feet on every coastline? Parker McCready made a 3D computer simulation of a coastal of the coastal ocean areas of the Pacific Northwest uh, called Live Ocean, and it's used to determine the spread of oil spills. It also shows what National Geographic called the quote perfect storm of a feet ensnaring properties of 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 sne- Oh my god, feet ensnaring. <sighs> it also shows what National Geographic called quote the perfect storm of feet ensnaring properties. It's a complex body of inland water with westerly winds that brings things from the ocean instead of pushing them out to sea. Another article I read that said uh, British Columbia experiences something called king tides in their winter months. And it suggests that the remains of these people could be coming from as far away as, uh, not Africa, Alaska, or as far south as Oregon. So that National Geographic article was published in March of 2021. And at that time, the British Columbia Coroner Service uh, had compared each unidentified foot to more than 500 missing people in British Columbia and in Canada's National Missing Persons DNA program, which launched in 2018. Nine feet were linked to seven people. And they even have a map online if you go on to their website and you can see all the areas in Canada or along Vancouver and British Columbia, where they were discovered, and they're very close together. Mm-hmm. Um, so far, it's believed that none of the Canadian cases were homicide, uh, though the in the cases in the U.S., police have said they can't rule out homicide. Yeah. Generally, these are determined to be the feet of victims of accidents or suicides, and is nothing overtly iniquitous, um, but it's hard to determine on foot alone. So if you're walking along the shores of the Salish Sea, be on your toes and remember that while it may be a gruesome reminder of our own mortality, a dismembered foot can't hurt you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. <laughs> Wait, I have one more thing. Um, I actually found out that the um, oh gosh, what was 
I forgot to put it in my note, but I have it written out. Kings County Medical Examiner's Office um, has since even advocated that shoe size be put on a missing persons report to aid in identification. So I thought that was important to note. If you find somebody who is missing, find out what their shoe size is and send it to the people in Seattle and and British Columbia, apparently. Their foot might be there. (laughs) Come on. That was a good one. Counterfeit? I cannot. You love me. Say it. Confirm nor deny. (laughs) that that was or was not clever <laughs> well i thought it was funny and i'm me <laughs> you are you this is accurate <sighs> all right hold on well thank you for joining us today as we speculated and talked on some mysterious bodies we hope that you will reach out to us with your own experiences we want your stories your questions and your feedback so send us an email at strange unusual podcast at gmail.com if you are sending a listener story if you are sending a story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so that we can sort through them a little more easily. Do you, have you ever spotted a foot on the shore? Do you know what those letters mean? Yeah. Do you know what Yaxi means? Tell me. Yaxi. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcasts or personal accounts Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're also on Facebook. Just search for the Strange and Unusual podcast. If you like, you can also head over to patreon.com slash strange unusual where your voice could be heard for episodes like this. Um, where we put up Patreon polls, we have access to our Discord, we have new content that's going to be coming out. I know we've been talking about that forever, but it's actually happening. Um, and a lot of other cool stuff. Bonus episodes. Um, cool stuff. <laughs> Go me. <laughs> yeah, real cool stuff. <laughs> no counterfeits. <laughs> but we understand right now with COVID and, you know, the economy being a trash fire absolute uh, garbage <laughs> that you may not be able to support us financially and we totally understand as we are kind of in that same uh same situation as we are. are also poor <laughs> um but if you're unable to support us on patreon we totally get it we just ask that you like share subscribe rate review uh share us with your friends share us with your enemies share us in your uber uh share us you know at family dinner Especially if you want to leave, I'm sure that your your family will ask you to leave quite promptly, especially on some of the episodes that we've covered. Yeah. Tell Ask you your go- dad about my about my puns. Does he think they're good? <laughs> they were good, Casey. Yeah. Alright. All I need is affirmation. Until next time. Bye.